Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 120, where in a moment we're looking at property versus pensions. That's in a moment, as I say, but please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows because in our programmes to date, we featured loads of stuff, mortgages, investing, wills and powers of attorney and heaps more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. And last time we looked at whole of life insurance. Remember, we can drill down and focus on just about anything forensically. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts and you'll get us there. As I say, an enormous resource all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you can tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And then that way you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis, and joining me on this occasion, deputising for Phil, who's on his jollies again, is his colleague at Phil Anderson Financial Services, it's Andrew Schooler. Hi, Andrew. Hi, John. Thanks for having me along today. Okay, so property versus pensions. The idea of using property to either bolster or even replace the necessity for a private pension, it sounds like the sort of thing which is maybe reserved for the wealthy or, or those inheriting wealth? Potentially, but I, I would also say not necessarily, because property doesn't need to be a lump of money that you throw in to buy a property. A property can be purchased through a lending facility as well. So it then opens up the options for people who are wanting to save on a regular basis. They're, they're saving vehicles effectively through the lending side of buying a property. So it doesn't have to be the inherited wealth, but for a lot of people, that's their first step into should I put money into a property or should I put it into a pension? Okay, assuming it is an option for you, perhaps by circumstance, uh, you know, you had to buy a big house years ago for families that grew up, but now they've moved out and you find yourself in a situation where you've got too much house. This could be something you sort of inadvertently stumble into as an option, but we'll come on to that. What's the, the, the big appeal with property in this instance, Andrew? Yeah, and the the good thing about in that that situation, so say you've downsized, you've got a lump of money sitting in a bank account, you don't know what to do with it. It's very easy to then use that money to then buy a property. It's just a nice straight transaction that goes from bank account into a property, and then you've bought the property, and then you can start letting it out. So it it, it can be a very very easy process for clients because. If you've bought a property in the past, people know the process of how you go about buying a property. But with a pension, it can sometimes be a lot more of a unknown. You know, they've maybe had a pension through their employer, but where do you go to get pension advice? How do I put money into a pension? What are my limitations? Then what happens with the money while it's in a pension as well? So all of those things are 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 definitely um, more you know, difficult for a client to, to comprehend, but that, that's where a financial advisor comes into play and they help with that side of things. But yeah, yeah. that's, uh, yeah, absolutely. No, the, the the thing is, I suppose, I, I don't think a pension is difficult because I've always been self-employed. So it's it's something I've done for years and years and years. I mean, I might not have the most up-to-date knowledge of where my pension is and, and I might need to, to go and revisit that with a financial advisor. But the idea of setting one up and, and getting it going, not something which bothers me. And 
probably pretty much all self-employed people because they'll have their pension already set up, I'd imagine. But two options there that you're talking about, downsizing and, and, and buy to let. Now, as I said, one of them you might sort of fall into. The other requires you to have that income to afford another property in order to let it out. What are the the other factors that, that determine which is a preferred option for you, Andrew? Yeah, and so there are a number of factors. There's a lot of people see pensions as risk. You know, things can go up and down. It's very visual. There's risk attached to property as well. You know, a client's attitude to risk or a person's attitude to risk should really determine the route that they're going to go down. Now, there's always a saying, you know, bricks and mortar, safest houses, you know, (laughs) however you want to look at it. But you know, buying a property and letting it out really has risk attached as well. The risk is the value of the property could go down. The risk is you don't get any rental income. You have to cover all the costs involved in managing a property. I would say they're a lot more hidden and you really can't tell what a property is worth until it's sold. So, you know, the the the, the risks within a property yeah, aren't as visual as they are within a pension. But but yeah, a, a lot of the time it's down to um, attitude to risk and, and also what their client's objectives are going forward. A, a pension is 100% a retirement planning tool, can only be used for your retirement. Mm. Whereas you can put money into a buy-to-let property and have it for retirement planning in inverted commas, but you can't come out of it at any point in time. You know, you don't have to wait until your fifty-fifth birthday until you can access money from a from a property. You could say, well, you know what, L- life changing event has happened. I'm going to sell this property. I'm then going to access funds, or you know, do whatever you want with it at that point in time. So that that's another factor that we need to take into account when we're assessing pension v property. So you can you can access the money in in a property more readily depending on well I suppose depending on your age it, it, it's not going to matter too much but you can get into it more more easily I suppose it's yeah. it's not something you often regard as as being that much of an an issue Andrew I mean comparatively speaking but there are always risks attached to to, to some degree you mentioned some of the ones there that property has if you're buying to let how do the risks compare between property and pensions though. Yeah, there's risks in everything that we do in life, you know, crossing the road, there's risk attached to to that. But with regards to pensions, I would say the risks are a lot more visual, as in you will get a valuation of your pension every month, every quarter, every year, however your pension provider reports to you. And you can physically see how that money is invested and how the value of your pension is going up and down. So stock market going down, you will see a drop in the value of your pension. Bond market going down, you will also see a drop in the uh, value of your pension. And, you know, you could say, well, it was £100,000, it's now £90,000. Oh my goodness, I've dropped by £10,000. Now, that could happen in a property as well. You could buy a property for £100,000 and a year later it's worth £90,000. But you do not see that unless you go and get a valuation or you're going to sell the property. So, there's a lot of similarities, but in a pension, it's visual. You are protected. You've got um, pensions are protected by the financial services compensation scheme. So if a company goes bust, you've got a bit of protection in the background there. But there is also risk around how funds are invested. You know, I've unfortunately seen cases where clients' monies have been invested in a completely inappropriate manner 
and they can end up losing a big chunk of their uh, their pension through mismanagement mm. of of pensions. Really, not anything you know we look at here at Phil Anderson, but it's you know it exists. Yeah. Okay. Often you get a feel for how things might go in the future by looking at how they performed over time in the past. You're talking a little bit about it there. When it comes to property versus pensions, which has performed best historically, or is it too difficult to tell? No, we, we can't actually quantify it because there are a, a, a good amount of indexes and you know um, uh, things to look at. What I'm going to look at just now is what house prices have grown by since 1980. So that's 42 years, 40, no, 43 years now, of of growth and what a property was worth then and what it's worth now. And that kind of, that's one element to a property uh, value. So if we look at the average house price in 1980, you're looking at an average house price of about 19,273. Fantastic if we could buy a house back then. <laughs> Do you know what that was for? Was I mean, is there an average house? So is uh, it- three bedroom house, yeah, right. just your your kind of average three bedroom house, nothing fancy or anything like that. If we now compare it to what it was worth now, we're now looking at 240,000. Wow. So think about what 240,000 can buy you now that was what you could have bought it for you know 40 odd years ago so if you're to put a figure on that percentage growth that's 1145% growth uh, over that time frame which sounds astronomical mm. but if we were to say you invested that same amount of money on the same date and then got a, a, a fixed interest growth, let's say over that 42 years, you would need 6% growth in an investment to get the same return over 42 years. So 6% isn't a huge figure. Yeah, um, it's not out there, is it? I mean, it's not no, It's not unachievable, certainly. No, no not, not at all. And especially, you know, there, there's been a lot going on over that time scale. There's been recessions there's been record high interest rates there's been all sorts of you know banking crises covid all sorts of things going on so you know everything has an impact so you know is one better than the other now th- there's always the argument that on top of capital growth of the property you're going to get rental income as well so that is you know, it's like, well, what what do I do with that rental income? So if I've let that property out for 42 years, I'm going to have 42 years worth of income from that. Now, ideally, if you're treating this as a retirement plan, then that money will have either been put to one side, it will have then either been allowed to grow, reinvested in another property, etc. You've got that factor to take into account as well. But remembering that that income is taxable, so you're liable to income tax, etc., on 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 that side of things. With regards to a pension, you can also argue that depending on how the money is invested, you can get dividends. So dividends, albeit not the, at the same level as rental income, can get paid back into the pension, and that can then buy additional units within the portfolio you're invested in. And then that has a kind of compounding effect. So there's so many factors to take into account to say, what's better, pension or uh, property? But um, welcome to the complex world of financial advice. Nothing is straightforward. 
I have to say, you're you're not making me come down on any specific side, one or the one or the other here. And I was hoping to get to that by the time it reached the end of the uh, the episode, but we'll see. Oh, might do. Now, let's take a closer look at the buy-to-let option specifically here, Andrew, because yeah. you, you touched on you know some of the things that potentially are hidden that, that you don't really think about when you're buying a property to let, but which can rear the ugly heads. What are the, the, the other pros and cons with a buy-to-let property? Okay. So, you know, we're, we've touched on the pros. So pros are capital growth of your property. So hopefully you'll get the same kind of growth over the time you hold it and you're getting the rental income. Great. All things going well. That's brilliant. You also then need to think about the purchase of the property. Now, in Scotland, there's a surcharge for a second property, you know, stamp duty effectively. There's a surcharge if you're buying a second property, so something other than your main residence. So if you're buying a buy-to-let property, there's a 3% additional stamp duty charge on that property purchase from zero up to whatever value it is. So way stamp duty works in Scotland, you don't pay stamp duty up to 145,000 and then it gets tiered up 2% and uh, and up from there. But if it's a second property, there's automatically 3% added onto whatever the existing stamp duty is. So it can get quite expensive. So for an average property there, you're looking at, you know, 3% on the first 145,000, 5% above that and then it kind of ramps up from there. So there's that first additional cost that will hit people straight away. You've then also got to, I always say a property, you've got to treat it like a business. You've got to think about owning a buy-to-let property like a business. You've got to have the appropriate certifications for that property. You've got to have the appropriate insurance in place. And you're you're treating your your tenants as you know uh, as customers effectively. They're paying the bill. The other downside you can have is if your tenant decides not to pay their rent, then it can be a very costly process to actually either get the money back you're owed or get the tenants out of the property. So that 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 can have a major impact on growth and the cost to yourself absolute worst case scenario that i ever heard of was a family were letting out their old family home dad used to live in there he was in a home they were letting out the old family home two years went by without the tenants actually paying rent Seventeen thousand pounds worth of legal costs and then the final draw that broke the camel's back was the tenant before they left they burnt the house down so fortunately they had proper insurance in place the house got rebuilt but after that they sold the property and then looked at an alternative option but i have to say that is the very very worst case scenario i've ever heard of as you can yeah, imagine yeah no not too many uh people burn the place down before they they no, leave i, I wouldn't have thought they just hand the keys back and, and and speaking of which you know you're talking about treating it like a business Sometimes there's a a peace of mind for property owner if they get the property managed by a by another company. Absolutely, um, yeah. but again, that incurs a cost, doesn't it? You got it. So if somebody's doing work on your behalf, they're always going to take a, a percentage or a fixed fee to do so. So a lot of client, uh, a lot of people use factors to a find the tenants, vet the tenants, credit score them, deal with the income, but they're going to take a percentage of that. 
they can then also deal with any repairs that need to be done to the property by just wear and tear or mismanagement by the by the tenant, etc. So all of these things are then, you know, you've got to factor in. And, you know, there's always going to be fixed costs like utility bills, council tax, and you've got to pay those irrespective of whether it's let out or not. So all of this can eat into your profit margin. And it always comes back to, you know, return on equity. So what return are you getting from your initial investment? So, so yeah, the, it, so many pros and cons. A lot of people really like property because it's tangible. They can go and see the house that they own. They can go and see the flat that they own. It's it's there. It's something. Whereas with pensions and the way that they're invested, it's numbers on a bit of paper. And, mm. you know, it, some people are more comfortable with the fact that they can actually see something that's tangible. I suppose in terms of keeping track of your pension, unless you're, you're actually going to physically pick up the phone and, and try and stay on top of it, the best kind of inkling you're going to get is is annually, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if if we're looking at workplace pensions, so the kind of pension that you know, an employer would set up for you when you, you start work for them, yeah, you can expect to get annual statements. And it's a snapshot in time. It's just the value of it on that specific day that the, the valuation was done. Private pensions, so kind of pension that you'll have, John, yeah. kind of pensions that I have in the background as well, you can get daily valuations on these pensions if you wish. I, I always say to clients, please be hesitant about going in and checking your investments daily because you will see it change you know, on a daily basis. But you can get that kind of reporting if you really want to. You know, If you want to see the daily changes to pensions, you can get that information if you really want to. I don't really see it as being beneficial to clients. I would much prefer that they touch base, you know, maybe quarterly, half yearly, annually, however they want to do it. But we also want to try and avoid the burying your head in the sand scenario to say, well, if I don't look at it, I don't know what's going on and I can forget about it and that's fine. But you know, if you're managing it yourself, I would say you want to be looking at it from time to time. From my client's point of view, that's my job. I manage the pensions. So let me worry about it rather than you looking at it on a daily basis. Side of things. Okay. I'm going to throw a couple of things in here. And when you're talking about looking at it on a daily basis, in one of my other jobs, you may or may not know, I I work in radio and my boss, who's a very steady hand, always says when it comes to looking at radio audience figures, you you look at the climate, you don't look at the weather. So you look at it over a period of time and you get an idea of what the average uh, day or the average temperature might be. Whereas if you look at the weather, then one day it's it's raining and the next day it, it's snowing and the day after that it's it's warm. You know, so you, you get an idea over a period rather than that day-to-day thing that you're talking about, and that gives you a better overall picture. And that sounds like the, the, the sort of thing that you're suggesting there. The other thing w- with a pension is I, I would possibly suggest that I don't look at my pension enough because all I get is a, a statement every year and I look at it and you're talking about a snapshot in time. It, it actually tells me in my private pension, it'll say, if you were to retire in such and such a date, then you could have a lump sum of X plus a monthly income of Y. 
Or you could, and I think, well, that looks all right. That's that's fine. Yeah, you know, I could get back. And I just push it to one side. And I don't really think I've got a handle on it, to be truthful. So that is something on my to-do list for 2023, Andrew, I've got to say. But just we've spoken there about the, the sort of pros and cons of buy-to-let property. Expand upon now for me, if you could, the, the pros and cons of uh, investing in a pension. Yeah, um, so, yeah, Benefits to, to, to paying into a pension, it's a lot easier to get into paying money into a pension if you don't have a big lump of money to invest initially. So if you said, well, I've got £50 a month, I've got £100 a month that I want to save on a regular basis for your retirement, a pension is a far easier vehicle for people to get into to say, you know, rather than saying, well, I'd like to buy a property, but I've only got £100 a month. What can I do with that? So a, a pension, a lot easier to get into. Now, you know, you can approach a financial advisor like myself. There, there's options online as well. You can set up a pension through providers directly if you really wanted to. Obviously, I'm going to say going through a financial advisor is always the best way to go about it, but that's my job. So major benefit, easy to get into. Second major benefit is you get tax relief on the money that you pay in. Mm. So... If you're a basic rate taxpayer, um, you get, um, you know, if you pay in £100 a month, let's say, from your bank account, straight away that turns into £125 because you're getting tax relief on the money going in. If you're a higher rate taxpayer, you're getting even more tax relief. That has to be done through a self-assessment tax return. You need to inform HMRC that you are paying this money in, but you're going to get further tax relief going in there. So it's a it's it's a tax efficient place to be putting money. You know, the, the government are actually giving you money to or HMRC are giving you money to put money into the into the pension. Downsides to a pension is it's a retirement planning tool only. So if you're saving money in, so say you're 20 years old, for example, saving money into a pension, the earliest at the moment you can access a pension is 55. That's going to be changed into 57 in a few years' time. I can also see that moving up to 58 as well. It's normally 10 years before state pension age. So a 20-year-old putting money into a pension, they're not going to be seeing any of that money until you know they're closer to 60 years old. So if they're thinking, oh, you know what, I'd, I'd like to get money out to put a deposit down on a property or you know put my kids through university, etc., this isn't the right vehicle for them. So it is very much a tied-up product until retirement. Money needs to be invested within a pension. Now that's a that's a positive and a negative. Comes down to how it's invested. You can do very well with investments, and you can see great growth. Other investments could perform very poorly. So where you're paying money in, you might not actually see any growth at all because of underperformance. When it comes to taking money out of a pension, the rules are at the moment twenty five percent of the pension. Is tax-free, and that can be taken as a tax-free lump sum at retirement. The remainder of the pension, if you take that out as an income, that's then liable to tax. And it's income tax that is liable on, on, uh, on pensions at the moment. So if you say, well, I'd like £20,000 a year income from my pension, then that's going to be assessed against your annual allowance, and then you'll pay the appropriate amount of tax like it is an income. So you get tax relief going in. You're also going to be taxed on the way out, though. But hopefully, if it's done correctly, 
you'll get more of a benefit from the tax relief going in than you're going to have from the tax coming out. Okay, a lot of things to sort of unpack there. The first of them is persuading your average 20-year-old that a pension is the thing for them, I would imagine, is, <laughs> is, is quite difficult just because that's not what they're thinking about when they're 20. In fact, if they're thinking about anything when they're 20, I'd be surprised. Having said that, I am the 20-year-old that started a pension. In fact, I started it before I was 20, but yeah. only because I think my mum and dad sort of screwed down my thumbs and said, look, if you don't do this now, you, you're really going to get into trouble. You know, in other words, gun to head kind of time and just do it, get it done, sort it out. So I did, and, and it's been going ever since, even though I haven't done much about it except for you know, pay whatever it tells me to in any given month. So it's increased across the, the the period. You're talking about the idea of, you know, you can't withdraw money to pay for a deposit on a house. You can't, you know, withdraw money to put kids through university. I'm going to flip that slightly, Andrew, and say, well, for a lot of people, that's probably actually a positive. You can't access it. You can't do anything with it. Therefore, it's just going to accrue and it's going to be a massive, big lump sum and all the better for it by the time you are able to access it so yeah. you can look at it from 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 either side because i i know full well that uh you know that one of the things my dad always used to say and <laughs> i think i've used my dad as an example both good and bad on this show in the past one of the things my dad always used to say was as soon as you get some money do something with it because if not i guarantee something will come knocking at your door that requires exactly that amount and maybe five pounds more so yeah. you know it, it's it, it is that sort of thing if it's if it's not seen it, if you can't access it, but it's going in all the time, then maybe it's better for you. You mentioned tax relief there, and, and it comes into play in terms of things to compare as well. I know with my private pension, as you mentioned, I get a statement every year telling me about the tax relief, which I gleefully include with my tax return. But how does tax and tax relief differ on property versus pensions? Yeah. And you know the thing with property, there, there isn't the same kind of tax-efficient wrapper that you can put the property into. If you're owning a property outright, and let, let's not complicate things too much about limited companies and that side of things, that's a whole other conversation. If somebody's owning a property just on its own, it's not a, it's not in a tax-friendly wrapper at all. So, you know, you've got stamp duty tax on the way in, you've got income tax on any income that you're getting from a property, and then when it comes to sell the property, you're then liable to capital gains tax. And that's basically the profit that you're making on that property is then taxed. Now, there is an allowance at the moment that is going to be reducing next year and then further down into the next tax year. So you can pretty much be saying that pretty much all of the profits you're going to be making when you sell that property, if you sell that property, is going to be taxable. And, and that can have a massive impact on, on somebody's end strategy. A lot of people don't sell the property, though. They'll just continue renting it out, and then that'll be their income, like a pension would provide. But, you know, it, it's, it's something to take into account, because whereas pensions are income tax, property is capital gains tax. And the allowances are very... Well, the allowances are very similar at the moment, but they're going to be changing quite significantly over the next couple of tax years. So, so yeah, at the moment, it's not the most tax-friendly place, but a lot of people feel there's enough benefits to a property to make them want to go down that route. Okay, what you're saying is as things go on, it's going to become less attractive. So if, you, if you're talking about getting to that end stage, when you finally do get around to retiring, Andrew, and you can access that pension, the difference is in, in, in each one when you reach that stage, 
How is the income tax? Do you have capital gains tax to pay? Well, yes, on the property, but obviously not on the on on the income from from pensions. So the the capital gains, uh, you're saying, it's a, as we move forward in time, it's going to be less attractive, perhaps, to have a property sitting there that you're leasing out, which is giving you income for a pension. Well, it would be less attractive to sell it because the capital gains only applicable when you sell that property. So what you'll probably find is that if somebody, let's say, has owned that property for 42 years, like the example we spoke about earlier, they will be far more inclined to say, I'm going to leave the property there and I'm going to just take the income uh, as you know fr- from, the, from the rental side of things, rather than having to pay 30, 40,000 pounds in tax if I then sell the property, because then I've then got 200,000 pounds in my bank account. What do I do with that money at that point in time? Mm. So the costs to the person to get the money back into their account could be quite high. So I can see that as being a negative influencer, whatever you want to say, to sell the property when it comes to comes to retirement. So more than likely, people will end up just keeping the properties and then just using the rental income as, as their retirement income, if that makes sense. And then leaving the property to next in line or whatever. Potentially, unless rules change. Now, this this is the joys of financial <laughs> advice. This is the joys of my job, is we are constantly waiting for the next budget to come out to really determine mm. how advice is going to give. Now, somebody could be listening to this podcast five years from now. I'll be thinking, what's he speaking about capital gains tax? Because that, that could be a completely different scenario then to where it is just now. So, you know, at the moment, it's something that concerns me. And it's a conversation I'm having with clients at the moment around capital gains tax. But will that be an issue in the future? Who knows? You know, we're going to have another budget before the end of the tax year. So, you know, who knows? We'll, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. The interest rate changes over the last year, have they impacted property and has that impacted on pensions? Yeah, the, the, there's there's been a few impacts. You know, one major impact is if somebody is effectively leveraging their money to buy a property, as in they've taken out a mortgage to buy a buy-to-let property, the interest rates that they're then paying on that lending is going to have a massive impact on the on the profitability of that property. You may be in a position where you're barely just covering your costs. So the income that you're then receiving is servicing the debt. So then you're hoping that the property is going to go up in value. That's the only place that you're going to get growth because you know the, the cost of servicing the debt is getting more and more expensive. Now, that will probably go up again this year. The forecast is for interest rates to keep creeping up. And unless somebody's on a fixed rate mortgage, they're going to see their, their payments go up. It's also had an impact in investments as well. It's having an impact on bonds and gilts, which can be a big part of how pensions are invested. They were always seen as the stable element. A bond and a guilt is is loans to large corporations and governments. And the issue with a lot of this lending, it was set up when interest rates were very low. So, you know, they're paying a low interest rate on that. Now, with inflation going up and interest rates going up, a lot of that lending is worth a fraction of what it was two years ago. So we're seeing you know, drops in value in that area. So interest rates are having an impact in pensions as well, but it's in a slightly different way to how it's impacting property. But 
everything is interlinked and that that's a fascinating thing about um, financial advice and finances just how everything has an impact on everything else and and the correlation of 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 factors i find it fascinating Absolutely. You're on the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, Andrew Schooler, deputising in episode 120, Property versus Pensions. And I'll, I'll ask you here, Andrew, anything that you feel that you should add, just as a sort of uh, underline to the to the episode so far? As with everything, whenever you're choosing to make a, a, a big financial decision, it's worthwhile speaking to a professional in that area. So financial advisor like myself, sitting down and having a chat to say, look, this is what I'm thinking about. Does this make sense? Even just getting a sense check, that's what financial advisors are there for. They're they're there to help guide you through all the minefields that are there. So if you are considering the pros and cons between pensions and property, um, please have a chat to a financial advisor, get their opinion and see where you go from there. You know, forearmed is forewarned. Mm. And if you could finally sort of give me a takeaway version of this, tie it all up neatly in a bow, and <laughs> I'll ask you to come down on one side or the other just for this week, let's say, property versus pensions. What is your take on it at the end of the day? Okay. Um, yeah, it's a really difficult one. What I would say, it comes down to what your objectives are at the for, for, for the end of, of, of the investment. So, if a client was to say, my goal is to have as much money um, available to me at retirement that I can then use flexibly to buy a retirement income, I would be more than likely to, to go down a pension route with them. If a client was saying, well, I'm really interested in the income, the growth, I want to see a benefit from it straight away. And then, yeah, I'll probably use it for, a, a, for an income in retirement then property might be the best route to go down in that situation. Um, suitably vague answer, but I'm <laughs> <laughs> trying to get a 100% definitive answer from, from a financial advisor is like getting blood from a stone, but it, it depends on circumstances, really. But I think they're both really valid investment vehicles. And I use a scenario with clients to say, look, you know, any form of saving or any form of investment is better than nothing at all. Even putting £50 in a box under your bed every month is better than doing nothing at all. Granted, there's way better ways to put to do with that uh, £50 a month, but it's better than doing nothing at all. So, you know, taking action is far better than, than no action at all. Mm, absolutely. And whatever you do, don't leave that £50 in a box underneath the bed in the, in the buy-to-let property in case it gets burnt down. Uh, <laughs> let, let's, let's do this bit now. Phil's Quote of the Week fans, this is the part of the show where usually Phil delights us with a quote on the relevant subject topic for the show because he's always loved and benefited from an inspirational quote throughout his life. So this week, in Phil's absence, Andrew deputises property versus pensions. What are you going to go for here, Andrew? Okay, so so this kind of is just a bit of a lead on from a from a last point there. Unfortunately, I don't have who produced this quote, but I thought it was fantastic. So, and and this could be used either for pensions or property. So change the home to whatever you want. So I wish I would have invested in buying homes all the money I've invested in frivolous things. For had I today, I would want for nothing. 
Mm. Not a bad quote at all. Now, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your query. So if ever you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask them anonymously if you prefer it that way. Let's get on to this week's contact details in a second. I'll give it to you after these. Hi, Andrew. I stand to inherit a house from my mum. It's worth about £100,000. I want to divide the profits from the sale equally between my two now adult children. How should I best do that? retaining as much as possible in their favour. I guess it's, it's back to capital gains tax and things again, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, I'm I'm going to make the assumption that the, the, the money has been received, any inheritance tax has been paid, and effectively the money is sitting in, in the bank account. Now, you can do whatever you want with that money. Uh, absolutely fine. If you want to give it all to kids, if you want to, you know, give it to friends, etc., that's absolutely fine. But... The issues that you need to be aware of is a thing, again, it, it's inheritance tax. It's if you give more than £3,000 to your children in any one tax year, it's classified as a potentially exempt transfer or a pet for short. Now, the issue with that is within a seven-year time frame, so if you've given the gift, effectively you've got a seven-year ticking clock that then reduces. If you die within that seven years, a percentage of that gift is then taken back into your estate for calculation purposes, and there could be inheritance tax liable for the children, not the estate. The children need to pay this, even though they're grown up. They need to pay the inheritance tax before the estate can be settled. Now, a lot of factors to be taken into account there, but it's just something you need to be aware of that then if they use that money to buy a property, etc., they've then potentially got to find that money to uh, pay the inheritance tax. Now, if that is an issue or it may, if that may be an issue, there are ways to mitigate that, step life insurance policies, etc. But again, if you're unsure about the impact of a gift like that, please speak to an independent financial advisor and they'll be able to talk you through whether it's going to be an issue or not. It's the last thing you want to consider, isn't it, that you're going to have to find seven years and sit in a sealed panic room with, with pizza being slipped under the door so that you don't catch anything. <laughs> and, and then hope you can just survive through those seven years. Now, next up, here's one from Caroline in Port Lethen who says, Hi, Andrew, I'm self-employed. And actually, I'm doing okay financially with around a £1,000 a month surplus to my requirements. How should I consider using it? Before anyone shouts, I already have an emergency account too. I'm a regular listener. You can tell that she's sort of puffing out her chest as she says that. But a thousand pounds a month surplus to requirements. What's the, uh, the the best way to to use that? Well, Caroline's in a fantastic position, and again, when a client approaches me in this kind of situation, we start to put together a plan. We look at what their objectives are. So, you know, are they looking to access this money between now? and retirement is their life goals that they're wanting to save for next property putting kids through university weddings etc so on and so forth so we take all of those into account we then look at what's the most tax efficient use for your money what are your growth aspirations what is your attitude to risk all of these side of things are taken into account and then i would structure a plan for them to say well some of the money is maybe going to an investment ISA. If that isn't being used, we're putting money towards pension because if, if she's a higher rate taxpayer, then there's major benefits towards putting towards a pension, and especially with income 
tax rises going forward that's just been announced by Scottish government. Uh, so major benefits to doing uh, pension planning as well. So all of these factors we would take into account. She may have kids. She may want to be saving for them as well. We would look at what options are available there. So £1,000 a month is a fantastic amount to be then putting a plan together to say some goes there, some goes there, and what's the best use for the money going forward. So, yeah, absolutely. So please just uh, get in contact. We can have a chat about the options. I would just say as well, before you get in touch with a question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered an awful lot of topics. Uh, We may well have touched on on what you're interested in. I'm John Ellis. Thank you for joining us for episode 120 of the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Or why not email Phil a question he can answer on a future show. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question and Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured, we won't use your real name if that's how you'd prefer it. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. And please follow us on Apple or whatever you get your podcast, and then you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time, and thanks for listening.